0: Hi there, and welcome to this fresh episode of Forefront 360, and our arts review. Over the next couple of minutes, you will hear from members of the Forefront leadership team as we each highlight for you one thing we experienced this month in the world of art or the Christian faith. Things we really want the world to know about, check out, add to their queue, or grapple with. I'm Rich Christman, and today I have with me Nathan Mancini. Hello. Zach Ozinski. Hey, how's it going? And Cody Schweiker.
1: What's up?
0: Alright, so today we're gonna to start with Nate. Nate, what do you want to talk to us about today?
2: Yeah, so just this past weekend, based on when we're recording this podcast, The Incredibles 2 came out. And it is the follow-up to the 2004 film, The Incredibles. So it's been 14 years. And we finally get a sequel onto this much-beloved movie. So it's been a long time. Uh, The film picks up exactly where the last one left off. And we get a... Pretty good movie, I think. In terms of Pixar sequels, it does a pretty good job. It's not Toy Story. It's not uh, the Toy Story sequels. Um, I liked it about as much as Finding Dory. Um, it's definitely better than the Cars sequels. I think it's. Uh, I think it's a good, good, fun adventure. But there are some, some minor issues with it. I think they didn't really know what they were doing from a character perspective here. I think some of the, the character arcs aren't quite as well defined as they were in the original. And a lot of them kind of rehashed the same, the same plots from before uh, with, with minor reversals. So I think uh, it doesn't break a whole lot of new ground. And that's, that's one of the faults of the film. But I think uh, along with that, it, it does actually retread some things that the first film did with similar success. And so you know, in the first Incredibles film, it was really fun to have this family of superheroes who actually acted kind of like normal people. Um, yeah. They had typical struggles that your normal middle class family has. And it was kind of fun to see that, that they weren't kind of high and mighty uh, when when they got home from work, and so that's that's the same kind of thing that we get here, and it um, that thread continues in some really fun ways. There's a lot of hilarious parenting humor and uh, just moments that'll really make you laugh. I think this is above all a movie that's going to make you laugh. It's probably not going to make you cry. It's not super emotional, but it's just a good a good fun clean ride. So I definitely recommend. Um, get out to a theater and see it and it's going to be a, a good time at the movies now there's a short before it called bow and this pixar short is incredible i think pixar did a pretty inspired thing here where they they paired a deeply emotional short with a very kind of lighthearted movie and so when you go see this short, it's actually the, the most emotional thing you'll see during your time at the movies, um, and it's it's quite beautiful. So I'd highly recommend that you, you get to experience both of these things together.
0: Very cool. I saw The Incredibles too as well, and I was almost brought to tears by the short at the beginning. So I was sort of happy with how lighthearted the movie was after that, so that I didn't you know, embarrass
1: myself in front of all the kids in the theater. Yeah, it's refreshing. Yeah. Okay, Nate, I got to I gotta ask real quick, bro. I read some of your uh, reviewed thoughts on Facebook about The Incredibles 2 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about the the original Incredibles movie being a superhero movie, like one of the greatest of all time. About, I was surprised, not that I disagree, but I was surprised that you put it in that category. Because to, to me, it felt like I just always thought of it as a cartoon animated. Movie, but um, I mean, I, when I think superhero movies, I'm thinking Marvel. That's all I can think about nowadays, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah, it, it's like you. But you believe it's like one of the greatest superhero movies of all time.
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, it's definitely there are a lot of um, kind of comic book action sequences, just mm-hmm. like there are in in superhero movies. Now, it does definitely go against uh, some of the norms in, in kind of humorous ways, like that idea of. Oh, they're actually just like, just like a regular family with regular mm-hmm. problems, and, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of a fun a fun twist. No capes. Um, yeah, and, and no and no capes, and there's there's just a lot of um, just trademark Pixar style uh, that that made it really fun. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's uh, it's absolutely in, in the same category in terms of its storytelling. And when it came out, superhero films were not a big thing. Mm-hmm. I mean the the biggest superhero movie at the time. Was, was the, the Tobey Maguire Spider Man series. And actually, Spider Man 2 came out that same year. And Spider Man 2 was considered one of the best superhero films at the time as well. And so that, that was really what it was going against. And um, so that's, that's kind of the world we were in. It was mm-hmm. basically like there were, there were the older hero films, there were these new Spider Man movies, and people were like, oh, this actually isn't so bad. And then like Pixar puts out a superhero film. And it was just, it, it kind of kicked things off, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it actually kind of started. What we see from Marvel today, which you know, really kicked off in 2008 with yeah. Iron Man.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. I just hadn't thought of that. Incredibles movie in the genre of superheroes, but it's a it's a fun way to think about it. And it is a beloved movie. I mean, people yeah, people love it. People freak out, man. Over yeah. the Incredibles, so.
2: it's special, and that's why I just crushed it at the box office. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's doing gangbusters, biggest opening weekend of an animated movie ever.
1: Really? Wow. Yeah. Holy smokes! So you got to see it's, this movie, folks. Turn this podcast off. Everybody's doing it. And then come back and listen to the rest of the
2: podcast when you're going. The Forefront 360 podcast, where we tell you to do the same things that everybody else in the country is doing. Right.
0: (laughs) Also, but one thing that probably not everybody's doing, you think Rotten Tomatoes and IGN and stuff have good movie reviews, Uh, Nate Mancini's Facebook. Great place to get thoughts
2: on movies. Unparalleled. Strangers, be sure to friend Nate Mancini on Facebook. gravel, <laughs> Spoiler free thoughts. I set them as public, so you don't have to be my friend. You can just read them.
0: Oh, perfect. See, it's a gold mine. Mm. It's free. Free gold. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to another mine of gold. Let's hear from our friend Zach. Zach, what have you been up to this month? Oh, uh, yes. Zach's mine. The most
3: golden mine. Um... <laughs> I know that I have sung the praises of a certain Liz Weiss before on the show, but I'm going to do it again because it's warranted, and Liz Weiss has come out with her new and latest album entitled Save Me. Um, now, her first album, I believe it came out, it was either 2015 or 2016. I had never heard it until, I believe it was around January. I was listening to an album by another Christian artist, The Welcome Wagon, and when that album finished, my Spotify just went on to shuffle, and it shuffled right onto Liz Vice's track um, "Empty Me Out," which was one of the first ever Christian songs that just made me want to dance. Um, and so, my love affair with her music began. And, um, her newest album, Save Me, really just takes on, I want to say a totally different tone, but, um, there's definitely a shift, um, because much of, uh, her first is called There's a Light, and much of the tone of that album is very much just, it's, it's just so much an outpouring of, of praise and reverence, and not that that is missing on Save Me, um. Far from it, but much of the content on Save Me, as you would imagine, comes from a place that has seen a lot, has seen a lot of hurt, has seen a lot of struggle, and has really had at times to fight to, I don't know, I suppose, just keep her faith and remain in Christ, remain in his spirit as I think any Christian at some point or another in their walks can relate to. So her album really came for me at a time where things were just very, very difficult. And Liz is very open and vulnerable on this album, but she's also just out of this darkness, paints this glorious light, this glorious hope that can only come... From the light of Christ, um, out of our darkness. The whole album starts with I think this is an old hymn, but the the lyrics are basically just if your soul's not rooted in Jesus, you're gonna drift away. And it's that over and over again. And the album ends on a short and I would say unexpected track where She basically just ends on a question, a rhetorical question being, where can I go to run from you? Which, at the outset, you know, it sounds like anyone who has ever been in a place where, you know, God's not here. My faith isn't working. Things are hard and I'm in pain. So I'm just going to run. But... I think kind of the, the genius behind that lyric is that like, and like the message behind it is that there is no place that you can go to, to run from, from Jesus. And the hope there being that he is always present, always will be present. No matter what your struggle is out of Liz Weiss's struggles illustrated on the album. Christ is still present, and he's still with her. And the, the, the last image on the album she leaves you with is of spreading her wings and flying, uh, just free. And it's just so amazing and so beautiful. So, yeah, I would highly recommend checking out Save Me, By Liz Vice, it's a pretty quick listen. I think it's only about half an hour. Yeah, it's only like eight tracks, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty short, but excellent,
0: excellent stuff. I'm
3: very, very thankful for its witness into my
0: life. Well, that's awesome, Zach. Thanks for letting us know. I'm always really happy to hear your insights into the music scene because that's definitely where I tread the least. So I really appreciate your thoughts there.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, likewise. Um, and I have to say, like, I have never found so much good music being made by Christians in a single year. Not that I, I'm not saying that good music wasn't being made by Christians. I'm saying that so much was placed in my lap this year. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. there's good stuff. It's been such a gift.
2: It's on the rise, man.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Maybe one day we'll be at the forefront. Of the arts. Ah! Hey. Okay. Cody. What's up, man? Cody, what's up? What have you been working on? Oh, that.
1: About? Yeah. Of course. So first off, uh, I am definitely the least qualified person here to be talking about music. However. you to talk about it I anyway. do. <laughs> I do have to give a couple shout-outs. Um, one about someone I hope you've heard before. I'm sure you have. And another about someone I'm almost certainly you've never heard of. And uh, it's just two, two uh, jams I've been swimming in uh, recently. And uh, I don't know how to make good music, but I, I know good music when I hear it, um, like most folks. So I love music. And Jackie Hill Perry, I've just discovered this woman in a deep way. I've heard about her before, you know, years ago. I'm like, okay. Um, she's got an awesome testimony about coming to faith in Christ, and which is really cool in and of itself. But her hip hop tracks are incredible. I mean, I've been listening to, you know, the the Reach Records guys for so long, and um, I still love them, always will. But if it's coming down to like, uh, who can spit and rap and put together like play with words and language and just mastery over that stuff jackie hill perry is second to none of those guys in my opinion sure. so she yeah i mean um obviously i I'm, I didn't discover some obscure artists she's done pretty well but yeah i've, I've been amazed by it, especially the art of joy album which i think is she only has two albums is that correct we know yeah. that yeah zach you know Um, So anyway, I love that. And it's
2: so confident too. crescendo. Yeah. Like she just knows what she's up to. Oh, dude. Well,
1: the whole art of the whole art of joy album apparently is about Christian hedonism. Um, This John Piper, you know, philosophy of Christian that I just, I mean, it's already like my favorite thing in the world. So uh, yeah. Anyway, I've been really into that. Talk about a talented artist that loves Jesus. Um, So in, in addition to that, My guy, this is a friend of mine, okay? He's uh, 22 years old or something. Um, We went on a missions trip together a couple years ago. A guy out of Massachusetts, his name is Patrick Hamblin, okay? And you got to go on your Spotify there, you kids, and you got to search Patrick Hamblin, H-A-M-B-L-I-N. And he only has one song on Spotify, okay? But (laughs) it's, dude, it's still here. Um, He probably made it in his closet in his dorm room or something, okay? But he's so talented. It's so – oh, I I don't know what to say about it. You got to hear it. Um, At first, I was like, this is so good. But I thought that just because, like, I knew him. That's why I was enjoying it. But the more I listened to it, the more I was convinced that this is just objectively incredible music. And uh, so I've listened to that song, like, 80 times in the last month. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so check that out. Still Here by Patrick Hamblin. It's about him – wrestling with uh, his uh, plan for the future, what to do with his life, career, stuff like that. So, um, especially if you're at a crossroads with, you know, going into college or leaving college or out of college or whatever, um, yeah, I've been loving that. But um, what I'm most excited to talk to you you guys about is the uh, the Space Trilogy, the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy that – I finally finished, um, I finished it a couple months ago, but it took me several months to get through it. Not cause it was bad, but because I'm a slow, irresponsible, inconsistent reader. Um, but I finished it nonetheless. Um, so you have, uh, th- this is, I feel like one that, uh, christians all know about right obviously we've heard of c.s lewis but it's like old Jack. You, you're a real c.s lewis fan if you read the space trilogy you know i get that vibe so i was like you know what i gotta read these things yeah.
0: the c.s lewis professor at Grove city college
1: used to say the same thing that's right and
2: uh and
0: then you're like no wonder not everybody
1: read this <laughs> <laughs> contrary to popular belief Nathan, i am gonna take that on and um hopefully convince you guys to to pick this up. I mean, uh, so many good books to read, but um, this is one good recommendation. So uh, it starts off, chronologically, it starts off with uh, Out of Silent Planet. Then you have Pure Landra and That Hideous Strength. So it's a trilogy. As, as far as they go, That Hideous Strength is a great book. Um, but Pierre Landra was my favorite, and Out of Silent Planet is a close second in terms of ranking, whatever that's worth for you. Um, But all all three are worth the read. Um, They build on each other. And so I'll just go through a a few points here, a few thoughts I had as I reflect on this uh, journey that took a while. So C.S. Lewis uh, obviously had an affinity for poetry. Um, He actually wanted to be a poet uh, and, you know, did not exactly become a prolific poet but uh he still um is excellent with language and knows how to develop an image-driven story and so it's it's the writing is literary it's rich um and for me that's half the reason i pick up uh, a novel anyways just to be entertained by masters of language so as far as that goes i mean obviously that wasn't a surprise he's a great writer uh his world building in uh this this story here this trilogy is almost as mesmerizing as Narnia. And I mean that as a huge compliment because Narnia is like the coolest, right? Even cooler than Middle-Earth. Which, oh, I know. (laughs) I'm getting some nerds fired up out there, I know. But... uh, Inkling conflict here. Yes, I sense an inkling of frustration in the airwaves. But yeah, I put it there. Um, So yeah, the world building is incredible. Throughout the trilogy, you get thrust into these different planets. They feel so original. So unlike any other overdone fictional sci-fi setting that you're used to. Um, So he does a fantastic job with that, especially Pure Landra. My my next point is that scenes from this novel were like so truly terrifying, some of them. And uh, there's like this manifestation of spiritual warfare, and that's a central part of the conflict. And uh, there are passages in that novel and some of those chapters that are as creepy and haunting as anything you'll find in screw tape letters. It, it's just like in, in the best way. I mean, yeah, just, just brutally good writing. Um Wait,
0: is it is it pure sci-fi?
1: It is uh there's you know, they start off on Earth and then end up somewhere else um in most of the books. Uh yeah, so there's a lot of sci fi. It talks about it's kind of intertwined with fairy tale stuff okay. too. So yeah, it's it's Lewis. So you know he's got this whole hybrid thing Space going on. Fantasy. Space fantasy. Yeah, it's, it's genre-defying. And it's also a theological treatise, which is my next point. Um, it's genre Yeah. It's like
2: Star Wars, but with theology. <laughs> that's
1: right. Oh, there's theology. And <laughs> there's st- theology
2: there. And I'm gonna start.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyway, final, finally, last point about this. And I think it's the most significant as you talk about how these works are remembered in the canon, in secular memory christian memory as far as art goes he's pretty explicit in how his characters grapple not only with philosophy but like specific specific christian doctrine and this is polarizing as far as you know evaluating literature so some you know critics will say these are thinly veiled sermons you know um and other people will say no these are like transcendently important creative writing and stories and uh I, I'm just so infatuated with C. S. Lewis that uh I probably tend toward the latter. But um yeah, was I was shocked that he was so explicit, you know, words like Jesus Christ, Christianity, Aramaic. I mean, he, he goes he goes right out there with it. So um he's not exactly smuggling the gospel into these stories, he's kinda writing it down clearly on the pages. But uh yeah, so that that's a whole different conversation that we could talk about. But anyway, check that out. Uh, space trilogy quick, quick
0: quick question yeah yeah what what do you think if you had to like take a stab at it why do you think the space trilogy is less commercially successful than narnia
1: well the obvious answer to me is narnia is better as far as the story goes and that's not a knock on the space trilogy i just am like narnia is like my favorite oh, okay. i mean it's just a yeah it's a masterpiece oh. so uh yeah um like psycho alfred hitchcock is you know maybe his greatest film it doesn't mean you shouldn't watch rear window you know so um yeah so uh yeah that's probably the biggest reason but in my opinion cool so i want to talk about something i'm rich by the way i want to talk about something uh
0: that i've never spoken about before but we have touched on on the podcast um so if anyone out there is a gamer, you will well know that the E3 annual gaming conference for 2018 was held on June 12th through 14th in L.A., as it always is. And um, so I want to talk about that. I've noticed a lot of big changes, I think. And I, I'm not the only one saying this. A lot of people on, out on the interwebs have said, too, that this was a big year for E3. A lot of changes are happening in the industry Um, especially artistically. Um, So let me just start by saying I am in no way an expert on video gaming or the gaming industry or anything of that nature, but um, I am a casual gamer. I've been a Nintendo fan since I was like four. So just so you guys know where I'm coming from, Mm -hmm. but um, respect. Yeah. So I don't want to dive too deep into the whole medium, but I do want to just touch on some trends that uh, especially if people haven't been, are you know, you might be a casual gamer, you didn't pay attention to all of e three. Here's like some sweeping things that are happening. Mm-hmm. So uh, first thing I I and many others have noticed is there's a big change aesthetically happening across gaming, which I'll touch on more in a little bit. But one thing that was a huge upset for me. So I uh, when I was back when I was in middle school in like 2003 through 2005 ish, I was my friends called me a missionary for Nintendo. Which is weird. But anyway, because that was when they first released the Wii and the Nintendo DS. And they just paled in comparison to, like, the Xbox 360 and what Sony was putting out at that point. Mm -hmm. And Nintendo really kind of slid back and became, like, the company for children and Mm -hmm. families and things like that. Which, I'm not knocking. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But people that consider themselves serious gamers kind of eschewed Nintendo for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, due to college and grad school and things. I really fell off the gaming wagon for a number of years, mm. but I'm kind of getting back on now.
1: Good and for that, you. Good for you. Man. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Rich is
1: back, back again. Getting your priorities straight. Back,
0: anyway, but the um, multiple sources that I saw, both commentators live during E3's live stream, and then also things that I've seen written out since then is people, Nintendo is back on top and Microsoft is sliding back now, <sighs> which to me, is like nuts because the last time I was paying attention to gaming, Microsoft and Sony were like co-kings of That's the right. industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Nintendo was kind of playing in the sandbox over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, so now a Nintendo's lot Nintendo's grown up. Yeah. Well, well, maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> it's grown up into a different beast altogether. Oh, so, gosh. so one thing, so I've noticed that there's kind of two different avenues happening right now. And this has been happening for like decades, but I think that it's becoming increasingly more clear and I think so like Nintendo has the Switch out now. I just bought one. Um, love it. But what I'm what I'm noticing is we, we have an avenue of kind of what I'm gonna call like serious or like hardcore gaming, which is one route, and where we're really we're consume we're pursuing increases in graphics, mm-hmm. new um not necessarily new types of gameplay, but like new features, um bigger worlds, open world games with tremendous graphical detail and character options and play options. So basically the graphics and tech features like this kind of box used to be the biggest attraction at any sort of gaming conference, like especially E3, but also smaller reveals um, over the past decade or so. Um, But now the other avenue that I'm seeing kind of come into its own is a lot of the most anticipated and praised games this year at 2018 E3 are either remakes of old games, reiterations of classic series from when those of us, like millennials, were children. So we're seeing series being continued, some series that have been dropped for a long time. Are Sounds being like rebooted. the movie industry. Yes, yeah, I was going mm-hmm. to mention that too. <laughs> and then also, yeah, like so classic games that have been around since the 80s, like we're seeing like come back up. And then the other thing now is we're seeing this wave of highly like, publicly and commercially praised 2D side scroller games. Mm.
1: Rich sorry, would you walk me through really briefly what a side scroller oh, is? Absolutely, yeah. Like so, an example.
0: Yeah. So basically if you you know those of you that don't game. So since like way back when video games first were developed, like in arcades and whatnot, and then for like mm. the original Nintendo, right? Games were two dimensional, and you could only move left or right. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually, left, right, up, and down.
1: Mm-hmm. Super Mario,
0: right, along okay. the platforms. Right. On. So the games were called platforms, Platform and then a side scroller, like you can, the screen only moves left to right.
1: Mm-hmm. Actually.
0: Originally, screens only moved left to right, and then it was revolutionary once someone decided, oh, wait, you could also walk the other way. Wow. And so that was a huge thing. Forefront. Yeah, exactly. Wow, they were at the forefront. <laughs> there. But anyway, so then the, Even though they were going backwards. Right, right. Mm. So then um, I forget. I mean, somebody out there listening is probably like, well, duh, it was this game. But I can't remember which game did that. But I remember it being like.
1: You're being judged right now. Yeah,
0: it was a huge deal. We're well-informed, anyway. well Joe, yeah, the Forefront podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but granted, we haven't dealt too deep into gaming in the past. This is fresh for us. But anyway, anyway getting, um, started, getting our heads back in the game. Yeah. So basically, but so that's a side scroller, and ever since, ever since, well, a few games on Super Nintendo, but ever since the Nintendo sixty four and the PlayStation one, which many of you listeners may have kind of grown up on, I had an N sixty four. That was when three D gaming like became a thing, and then ever since then, it's been a constant arms race for like which companies can produce the most powerful systems that can handle the most intense. 3d games that look the most realistic to real life, or if not uh photo real, that they're just like these fantastic, colorful, detailed 3d poly worlds. Um, so you'd think like, why would you ever want to go back um, to a 2d world? But what we're seeing is, so again, just to make the delineation clear, we got two, two paths diverging in a wood here on the one path. We have people that are still pursuing like very serious, gaming with, like, increases in graphics. A lot of these games are, like, shooters, open-world adventure games, things like that. And Sony is really taking the spearhead on that. And then Nintendo is really taking the spearhead on the other side, which is people... And I'm not going to say that these gamers are any less serious. In fact, a lot of people would argue that they are more dedicated and more serious gamers. People that truly just love playing games and love the diversity of different types of games that are out there. So they would be just as likely to play an absolutely beautiful open world game as they would to play a 2d side-scroller that is just a darn good game that is very fun to play or very beautifully designed. And I think that that's really cool that gaming is finally sort of coming like in the grand scheme of things, gaming and video games are still a very new art form. And I think that what we might be seeing right now is video games coming into a nascent of adulthood where now there's like, we have like a comfortable diversity. Like we're comfortable in ourselves as a game industry. Now mm-hmm. we can make things that like weren't cool five years ago and now they're super cool. So yeah. yeah what, so IGN, uh, if you don't know, it's a popular site where people read game reviews. A lot of people that are serious gamers hate IGN because they're sometimes biased. So, you know, do your research before you read anything. But um, IGN made a list of the most popular games released at E3. And if I scroll through the list, and you can go to it very easily as well, if you scroll through the list, literally every single game is either an extension of a long series that have already existed, like Super Smash Brothers, Pokemon, um, Kingdom Hearts, Resident Evil, things like that, Mm -hmm. or they are new games that are old school so one that that has been receiving a ton of press, a lot of positive reviews, it has a 9.9 out of 10 mm. on IGN, is this game called Hollow Knight that was originally released for PC by Steam, but now it's receiving um, the most downloads of any game ever released by Nintendo um, on an online download platform. And it is a 2D sky-scroller that is being reviewed as just tremendously... In- immersive, and also just tremendously beautiful. And I just think it's... I mean, even if you have no desire to play the game, if you just YouTube it and check out some gameplay, it's a beautiful thing to see, because so much complexity and depth is shown in the visuals that were designed for the game, and the movement is very fluid. Mm -hmm. And they've also been praised for creating a very immersive and very haunting soundscape. Um, And they used ambient composers to create all these different ambiances for different like realms in the game and there's also very um extensive sound design for sound effects like movements like grunts of the characters when you're moving like the clicks of metal against you know rock like things like that and um so at first glance somebody from the oh, we just got to pump these graphics. Like that world, you might be like, okay, I have no interest in this 2D indie game. Mm-hmm. But the more that we look at this, the more time you spend with a game like this, in its own right, it is just as advanced as the other games that have more of the sort of like telltale science of something that is really cutting edge.
2: Yeah, because they're just like limiting themselves in one area from like a visual motion perspective. But then that limitation allows them
0: to go deeper in all those other areas. Right. And I think that's just very beautiful. And I think that there's also, and this is now I'm just saying my personal, you know, opinion, but I love 2D side-scroller games. So a lot of times, like when I'm stumped on a game that I'm playing on a contemporary system, I'll go back and play like games for like the Game Boy Advance, like Donkey Kong Country or something, because there's something about these games that are just timelessly fun. And I think that one thing that makes them so fun is they're challenging, but very simplistic. And it's very easy to just like come in, sit down, start playing the game. You can only move in four directions, you know? So like, I think that there's like, there's a beauty to that. that's actually cool. And then fi- my final um, observation and there's, I mean, we could talk about e three for days. I mean, the conference is nonstop three days long. So there's a lot of things I could talk about, but the last thing I want to leave you guys with is one thing that I noticed, uh, and Nate kind of mentioned it too, with the with the film industry and whatnot. But I think that we're experiencing in gaming, like now that video games are becoming a more established um, field, I think we're experiencing the same changes that have been faced by other mediums like film and literature back in the 19th century and things like that. And I think that what's happening is we're seeing different markets develop And the mainstream market is beginning to kind of be marketed towards a lower common denominator of, like, standard consumers of games. And that's why we're seeing, like, people have been making fun of game, like, certain games that have come out in the past, like, three, four years saying that all game covers look exactly the same. Like, there's some epic-looking guy, like, facing away from you as the viewer, and there's, like, some battle sequence happening in the background. And everyone's like, wow, where's the creativity here? And I think that the answer is where the creativity is really happening is in these independent third-party companies. And I think that what we're seeing, the same thing that Spotify and Apple Music have provided for us, which is like a view into musical artists that we may have would never have come across before. Mm -hmm. Now with things like the Nintendo eStore and things like Steam and like these online shops where you can buy download-only games that are produced by indie studios, we're actually getting... A diversity of high quality productions. And while the debate is still out, are video games art? I absolutely think they are. I think they employ all the forms of art. I mean, there's, there's writing, there's visual design, there's music design, and there's also a design of engagement where you're engaging with mm. other, sometimes other humans, but also the program itself. So,
1: right on, man. Yeah. So, play some video games, kids. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Kids are spending too much time not playing video games these days.
1: Amen. (laughs) Well, thanks
0: for listening. Yeah, thanks to all of you listening for spending time with us today. Um, If you like what you heard from 4Front Team Day, please be sure to subscribe. If you really liked what you hear, please uh, throw us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever other um, medium you might be listening to us on. Again, that indie stuff. You know, sometimes you get the best stuff from it. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. thanks again. Signing off. I'm Rich Crispin. See you next time. See ya.